from the city that never sleeps. 17 miles from Madison Square Garden, New York City. It's America at Night with Rich Valdez, America's favorite late night talk program featuring interesting guests from around the world and calls from across America. And now, here is your host, Rich Valdez. Hi there, good evening, and what's up, America? I am Rich Valdez, Valdez with an S, in case uh, you didn't know how to spell it. And the phone number is 833-4-VALDEZ, 833-4-VALDEZ. You can get me on social media at Rich Valdez with an S, and please subscribe to the podcast for uh, Rich Valdez, America at Night. By the way, if you want to listen to this program live, if it's not on in your area or if you're afraid it's, you got to listen to it at a different time because it's not playing live, you can stream the program live at the following website, Rich Valdez America at night.com. Rich Valdez America at night.com. Now, I want to talk about uh, the news of the day. Today, former President Trump arrived in uh, East Palestine, Ohio, and uh, he said a couple of things. We have a couple of clips of that audio. Listen to this. I sincerely hope that when your representatives and all of the politicians get here, including Biden, they get back from touring Ukraine, that he's got some money left over. Now, of course, President Trump didn't leave it there. Uh, you know, he took a couple of shots at Biden, and I think rightfully so. When uh, you see the videos of the, the crowds cheering him on, and it's just an interesting juxtaposition where Trump says, I will be in East Palestine on Wednesday, and all of a sudden the, entire, the entirety of the federal government tries to make a move to get there on Tuesday, while, of course, on Monday, President Biden was touring uh, another place that had nothing to do with the United States. He was in uh, Ukraine with uh, President Zelensky. So Trump continued uh, letting people know that um, he uh, brought some supplies for the people of East Palestine. We're bringing thousands of bottles of water, Trump water, actually, most of it. Uh, some of it, we had to go to a much lesser quality water. <laughs> you want to get those Trump bottles, I think, more than anybody else. But we're bringing a lot of water, thousands of bottles, and we have it in trucks, and we brought some on my plane. And he, he continued with the people, letting them know that the Biden administration has totally failed the people that are suffering after the uh, train derailment in Ohio. Unfortunately, as you know, in too many cases, your goodness and perseverance were met with indifference and betrayal in some cases. Uh, Biden and FEMA said they would not send federal aid to East Palestine under any circumstance. They're not going to send aid. I thought that was a strange statement because I've been working with FEMA for a long time, four years, and they were great with us with the tornadoes, the hurricanes and things like this. Now, speaking of Trump, I want to stay on this theme of Trump, but I want to expand to what we were talking about yesterday a little bit with uh, former Attorney General Matt Whitaker. And uh, I had asked him, you know, are we going to see indictments coming from Georgia and what the potentiality for them actually mattering is? Uh, because, you know, we know a lot of this stuff is just politically motivated. And there was some discussion. And if you missed that, check out the podcast. But um, the jury four person, uh, Emily Coors, she uh, had a, an interview with CNN, and you have to listen to how excited she gets and, in her words, how awesome it would be to put Trump under oath. Listen to this. 
Did you personally want to hear from the former president? I wanted to hear from the former president, but honestly, I kind of wanted to subpoena the former president because I got to swear everybody in. And so I thought it'd be really cool to get 60 seconds with President Trump of me looking at him and being like, do you solemnly swear? And me getting to swear him in, I just, I kind of just thought that would be an awesome moment. I can see how trying to get the former president to come talk to us would have been a year in negotiation by itself. So it sounds like that was ultimately <laughs> a battle that you all decided not to wage. Exactly. That's, that's kind of how it ended up. Was that and I'd be fascinated by what he said, but do you think he would have come in and said anything groundbreaking or just the same kind of thing we've heard? So at some point you don't need to hear 50 people say the same thing. Mm. You know what I mean? At some point you kind of start to get the gist. <laughs> I think I'm getting the gist here. I don't know if she's just giddy because she's going to talk to a very popular former president or if she really is on a uh, power trip here because she's going to be, you know, uh, putting him under oath uh, under subpoena. Uh, this forewoman of this special grand jury in Georgia doing all of this on video and with, on the news, CNN, she may have actually complicated the investigation into Trump and his allies because this uh, it, it seems to be showing some sort of bias, but I'm going to let you hear it. You you make your own opinions. Uh, she continued going on to say that it, it would be very sad if the DA decided against bringing any charges against Trump. That doesn't sound very fair to me. Go right ahead. After everything that you've seen, what would your reaction be if the DA decides against bringing any charges after what you've seen? I will be sad if nothing happens. Like that's that's about my only request there is is for something to happen. I don't necessarily know what it is. I'm not the legal expert. I'm not the judge. I'm not the lawyers. But I I will be frustrated if nothing happens. This was too much, too much information, too much of my time, too much of everyone's time, too much of their time, too much argument in in court about getting people to appear before us. There was just too much. For this to just be, oh, okay, we're good, bye. And if it was just a perjury charge or perjury charges, would that be acceptable to you? That's fine. I will be happy as long as something happens. So clearly, this is a jury foreperson that's here to determine innocence or guilt. And uh, she seems to be pretty adamant of, uh, on the fact that he's already presumed guilty. And uh, she goes on to say that there's there these indictments are much longer than perceived, that in fact, uh, it's not a short list. It's a very, very long list. Check this out. We do know, of course, one of the biggest questions remaining for everyone that wasn't in that jury room with you is how many people are in trouble here? What can you tell us about how many people you recommended as a group to face indictments? I well, thank you for having me, first of all. And I'm. I'm hesitant to speak to something that the judge made a decision not to share. He, uh, I don't know if everyone's aware of this, but there was a hearing um, about what parts of the report should and should not be published in its various forms. And the list, well, the sections that were removed were consciously chosen to be removed. And I don't want to say I have better judgment than the judge. That's totally understandable. Is it, would you say, when it comes to, there are, indi- there are indictments recommended, of course. Is it yes. more than 12 people? Is it more than 20 people? 
I think well, if you look at the page numbers of the report, there's about six pages in the middle that got cut out. Allow for spacing. It's not a short list. Okay. So um, you've heard, I'm sure you've heard enough. I think we've all heard enough. It's clear that this is a, a group of people that are out to get Trump. This is not weighing the evidence and trying to have any type of fair trial. And it seems, uh, at least according to some of the uh, legal experts that are already weighing in on this, that it's it's very surprising to 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 the people that I've heard analyze this that uh, this woman's commentary, which seemed very biased, uh, is out there, and that she's talking about prosecutors and potential socializing with jurors, and you know, hoping that the investigation leads to charges. So it, it sounds like you know. It's not going to go well for her. Uh, I, I, I think that Trump's attorneys are going to have a field day with this and say, look, I mean, this is clearly uh, an incredibly biased situation, but we're going to see what happens. But that is what's going on here with uh, this woman, Emily Coors. So uh, lots more to discuss. I also want to discuss what is the potentiality of China uh, backing Russia? To me, it seems very strong. We're going to get to the bottom of that with uh, our first expert tonight. And um, I don't want you to miss it. So don't go anywhere. I am Rich Valdez. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. With Rich Valdez. Joe Biden has put solidarity ahead of his own personal safety. Air raid sirens and no real guarantee of security. As air raid sirens blared. This was incredibly dramatic, Andrea. It was historic as well. Historic, timely, and brave. The first American president to go to a war zone with no U.S. military presence for security on the ground. Uh, American presidents have made dramatic trips before, Nixon to China, Kennedy, Reagan to the Berlin Wall, and presidents have visited U.S. troops in war zones, but never like this. All right. So that is uh, the media just fawning over uh, Biden's trip to Ukraine. And now uh, China's getting involved with their top diplomat, Wang Yi, uh, having met with uh, Vladimir Putin today in Moscow as China and Russia are tightening up and getting buddy-buddy in their uh, very close bilateral relationship. And um, this is, again, on uh, on the cusp of the, the one-year anniversary of this uh, war with Russia and Ukraine. And it's, uh, it's remarkable to me how 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 easily people are, you know, just so whimsical with things like this and they just go one way or the other and they seem so unprincipled in many ways. But, you know, what do I know? And that's why I bring in the experts. So I want to bring in our expert. She's a senior policy analyst at the Heritage Foundation. You could find her on Twitter at PJ underscore Geller. Patty Jane Geller, welcome to the program. Hey, thanks so much for having me on the show. Oh, it's my pleasure. So let's uh, talk a little bit about this, or a lot of bit about this. Uh, we got a couple of segments to work through it, and uh, I'm really curious to know what. Um, I mean, if you ask me, and again, I'm I'm a I'm I'm very very um, skeptical uh, of Russia and China. I, I believe that Russia is uh, welcoming China with open arms, and I believe China is saying absolutely, we'll help you, our communist cousins, because you know we would never want you to 
to lose this conflict with Ukraine because Ukraine's being, you know, pr- protected, supported, uh, whichever you choose, uh, by the United States. So in, in fact, that there's a proxy war here between China and the United States, and it looks like they're not going to back down. What's your take? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I think you're right on the mark there with the idea that China wants to uh, support Russia in the war. Uh, the the recent announcement that China might be sending uh, weapons to, to Russia is is just the latest example in a broader trend that we've been seeing over the last few years uh, in an increase in Russian and Chinese military cooperation. Um, this has been going on for quite a while, but really since they announced their uh, No Limits partnership a couple of years ago, uh, Russia and China have been conducting military exercises and drills in the Indo-Pacific um, of their of their sea and air forces, uh, and even some simulated uh, ballistic missile strikes. Um, so, so this to me is honestly no surprise that Russia, uh, that China would now consider helping Russia in the war. I, I worry that their alliance could grow um, and, and even become worse from that, and the, and the U.S. is not going to be prepared for it. So let's let's um, walk through this. So right now they, they send their top diplomat over. Um, when do you think um, they solidify this with Xi does Putin, I know Putin, I think, had a meeting with him a while back, but do they, they have another meeting? Uh, is, is a lot of this just for show? Um, how quickly do you think something like this materializes? A great question. Um, I, I do think part of it is uh, for signaling. You know, they want to do mm-hmm. these public meetings to, to signal to the U.S. and its allies that, uh, you know, look, we're, we can buddy up if we really want to. Um, we, we know that the, the U.S. is preparing for conflict with both countries. And, and, hey, United States, you better watch what we're doing. Otherwise, the threat to you, to you can become even worse. Um, you know, th- that being said, h- how long would it take for them to actually um, get weapons over to Ukraine? I, I doubt it would be instantaneous. And, and my hope would be that you'd hear some push from the Biden administration to, to say China you better not do this or else that there will be consequences and to, to come back at them with our own strength. Right. And let's now bring into the fold here the um, the idea that there's, you know, these these are all nuclear players. Uh, how do nuclear weapons fit into this whole scenario? Yeah, this is key. So my concern has been uh, that Russia's and China's military cooperation could advance to the nuclear level. Uh, and to be clear, we haven't really been seeing any signs of this. All of their nuclear drills have been conventional. Um, but we have to look at what's happening. Um, China is undergoing um, a massive nuclear expansion. It's building hundreds of new warheads and missiles, um, and it's on track to become uh, equal to or, or superior to, to that of the United States in terms of its nuclear weapons. They're new nuclear power. Russia, on the other hand, um, has been a nuclear power as long as the United States have. They, they, are, they have scientists and engineers with tons of experience, and they actually have a lot of leftover nuclear material, too. So you put these guys, these guys together in a friendship, and the, what I see is, uh, what if Russia decides to then help China with its nuclear program in return for what it might be doing in Ukraine? So I do think that there's a concerning nuclear element here. Now, with uh, respect to the the arms control, uh, the uh, new start, how do you um, factor this in? Again, is that more posturing? Is it, uh, I'm not going to do it right now? Is he just being coy? Or is it like, no, absolutely, hell no, I'm not doing it. We're going to do what we want to do. Yeah, I think there's two parts to that. I think it's certainly more 
you know, posturing nuclear coercive tactics. We've seen since the war started a year now, uh, Russia has been issuing constant nuclear threats to try and coerce the West into making concessions or into staying out of the war. Uh, and I think the, the decision to suspend New START is, is the latest in these examples. You know, they, they know how much this administration loves arms control and would like to see the agreement saved. And, you know, maybe from Russia's point of view, they can extract some concessions. Um, mm. but, but that doesn't mean that we, we shouldn't take this seriously. You know, th- this is concerning. Um, New START enables the uh, exchange of information, data, and also inspections of, of each other's nuclear forces. So without Russia's participation, it, w- it would be difficult for the U.S. to figure out how many nuclear weapons Russia is deploying. Um, or Russia could take this further and um, break out of the treaty, go over the, the, the treaty limits and, and deploy a bunch more nuclear warheads. Uh, and, and that would certainly be concerning if Russia starts to deploy more than, than we do. Do you have any inclination um, from a, a position of speculation to, to believe uh, that Russia is inching towards that type of aggress- uh, aggression to, to use a nuclear weapon? I always like to say that Russia using a nuclear weapon is uh, it's very unlikely, but it's not impossible either. Um, it, it seems like, you know, maybe Russia's been bluffing a bit. They've been threatening nuclear weapons for over a year, and they haven't even come close. Um, but Russia does have the, the nuclear weapons and the, uh, the doctrine, the strategy to, to, to act that would make you think that they would actually use these nuclear weapons in the war. Um, Russia has over 2,000 of uh, tactical nuclear weapons, which are kind of smaller weapons that would be not used, you know, to launch against the U.S. homeland, but used uh, in Ukraine. Uh, and it's actually part of their, their written doctrine that they reserve the right to use these small nuclear weapons to try and get the opponent to back down. Um, so whereas we haven't really seen any, you know, movement toward the use of nuclear weapons, despite the threat, uh, you have that possibility there. I, I would not at all put it past Putin to dis- to make that decision to pull the trigger. Yeah, and I think that's really well put. Uh, I, whenever I bring foreign policy people on the program, uh, I, I always... Uh, ask these types of questions because uh, it's it's my again as a, a not astute at all you know as a very um, with a big naivete when it comes to foreign policy uh, but, but I mm-hmm. look at this and I think I don't I just don't see this guy getting that crazy and you know putting nuclear or even a dirty bomb but um, you know those that know way more than I like lieutenant colonels and and people of that. Uh, nature. They um, they disagree with me and they think he is crazy enough. So folks, stick around. We're on with Patty Jane Geller, Senior Policy Analyst at the Heritage Foundation. And we're going to continue this conversation about Moscow's disregard for international security commitments. Don't go anywhere. It's America at Night with me, Rich Valdez. Afford Anything talks about how to avoid common pitfalls, how to refine your mental models, and how to think about how to think. Paula, while certainly you can mess up on a million dollars a year, it is far less likely than it is on $30,000 a year. Right. I would meet wonderful people that were struggling with a budget that was super tight. It was 100%. You need to make more money. Make smarter choices and build a better life. Afford anything, wherever you listen. Valdez. That's 
4-833-4 Valdez. That's Valdez with an S. The so-called tactical use of nuclear weapons is utterly unacceptable. It is high time to step back from the brink. Antonio Gutierrez is the uh, Secretary General of the United Nations. Those are his comments saying no nukes. And uh, clearly, I, I think, you know, President Putin is in the business of saying, yes, nukes, and that uh, we have this back and forth. And t- like I said before, uh, I, I never know, you know, how much uh, bluffing is bluffing. But our guest, Patty Jane Geller, is an expert on this. She's a senior policy analyst at the Heritage Foundation. And Patty Jane Geller, I want to uh, really kind of just break this apart for listeners who are, you know, just tuning in right now uh, about Russia and how they're continuing to ignore obligations under New START, this uh, disagreement where they're not going to do uh, or use nuclear weapons. Explain a little bit more on that, please. Sure. So uh, New START is the, the only arms control treaty between Russia and the U.S. Um, that limits the number of nuclear weapons that each side can deploy. Uh, so, so in particular, both the U.S. and Russia can deploy no more than about 1,500 uh, strategic nuclear weapons, meaning, you know, those sorts of long-range missiles that can reach each other's homelands. Uh, and part of the treaty is uh, inspections. So um, Russian and Chinese, uh, Russian and U.S. inspectors can go look at the other's missiles. Sorry, lost you there. So Ru- Russian and Chinese inspectors yep. can go look at the other's missiles and uh, exchange information about about their their nuclear forces, and so what's what's happening now is Russia decided that they're going to suspend their participation in that treaty. Uh, we don't know if that means they're going to surpass that that limit of 1,500 nuclear warheads, um, but it sounds like they they won't abide by those treaty inspections or data exchanges any longer. Now, isn't this um, uh, similar, or tell me how it's different from the INF treaty? Yeah, um, well, similar in that it's another instance of Russia violating every arms control treaty. But um, mm-hmm. I'll tell you, the, the INF treaty, um, that was a great treaty in that it banned an entire class of weapons. So the U.S. and Russia were not allowed to deploy uh, intermediate-range um, ground-launch nuclear missiles. So think of the, um, the nuclear missiles that the U.S. deployed in Europe back in the Cold War or the, the, the Russian missiles that they deployed in Cuba during the Cuban Missile Crisis. Um, all of those were banned, and it was great. Um, but then since around 2014, Russia started building some of those missiles that were banned, which uh, eventually prompted the Trump administration to, to rightfully withdraw from that treaty. Right, and I remember that, and for, and for that reason is why I asked. Because it seems that there's a pattern here of saying, hey, look, we have this treaty, we have that treaty, and Putin kind of uh, proverbially raising his, uh, you know, um, folkloric middle finger at us, <laughs> just saying, no, no, thank yeah. you, I don't want to play. And, and and I just think, you know, how do, you know, how would you recommend, I know how I would recommend, but how would you recommend dealing with someone like this? Yeah, Putin has certainly demonstrated that he has, has no interest in arms control, and this dates back before Putin really all I know about the Soviet Union is their their violation of international agreements. And um, I, I think we have to, we can't, we quite frankly cannot continue to rely on arms control for U.S. national security. Uh, you know, you hear officials even from this administration who say, um, you know, arms control will, will save us. It'll it'll be what we need to prevent a nuclear war, but not with a partner like, like Vladimir Putin. Um, the U.S. 
I believe, needs to react by focusing on on building up its own forces, its own nuclear deterrent, um, since that's what will ultimately need to protect us, not arms control. What kind of nuclear deterrent are you talking about? Uh, sure. So the, the U.S. has uh, its, uh, its slew of nuclear forces. We have um, a triad of land, air, and sea-based different kinds of missiles. Um, something I've been, I've been writing a lot about is that our, our nuclear forces are really outdated. Uh, they're all um, built and designed during the Cold War. Um, and we also, you know, we, we, the number of nucle- nuclear weapons we have, we, we picked that, you know, before we knew that China was expanding its arsenal as well. So as the threats grow up, um, we need to strengthen our deterrent by, by doing more. We're, we're, we're quite frankly going to need more nuclear weapons to deter Russia um, and China from ever thinking that they can get away with using their own. Right. And it seems like the uh, clearly several presidents have understood this, right? The last president, President Trump, I put a ton of money into military spending to make sure the the uh, military was strong and ready despite having to use it and not going into any new wars. And President Reagan, his whole mantra of peace through strength, uh, I, I think uh, lent itself well to the current situation. Uh, do you think that the current administration, the Biden administration, would ever take uh, a page from the Reagan administration and say, yeah, you know what, we're going to do exactly what Patty Jane Geller's talking about and we're going to beef up our outdated system that was put into place by Reagan and and you know, see what see what happens. Yeah, you, you know, you know, I hope so. So far, this administration uh, hasn't been taking the threat enough seriously. Um, the last couple of budget requests for defense um, didn't even uh, keep up with inflation, so it's basically a, a cut in in the U.S. military capabilities. Um, we've seen a willingness to to spend enough money on nuclear forces, but. Um, it, it's not going to be enough. And I'm, I'm really hopeful that, you know, the threats are, are growing. Things are getting really serious. You know, we talked about Russian-Chinese cooperation or a future alliance. I, I would hope that that would trigger into any American president into, you know, seeing that, you know, we, we can't fool ourselves by thinking things like arms control and diplomacy will save the day. We, we have to build up our military forces. Yeah. And what, what, what do you think in particular, um, with respect, is it all nuclear um, or other technologies that you've got your eye on? Yes, sadly, it's probably a bit of everything. Um, nuclear, we are going to need um, more nuclear weapons and different kinds of missiles to deal with the, the growing threats. Um, and a lot of our conventional forces are are, um, are are weak. Actually, the Heritage Foundation publishes the index of U.S. military strength each yes. year where we rate the, the military services and how if they're big enough and capable enough and ready enough up against the threat. And for the first time in, in nine years, we rated the military as weak. So that means we need we need a bigger Navy. We need a more ready uh, Air Force. It's, you know, I wish I could tell you, you know, it's it's the top technologies we need, but we, we need to do better on even, even the basic military equipment um, that we'll need to face on both Russia and China at the same time. Yeah, I mean, I agree with you. I I feel that we hear a lot about everybody using hypersonic weapons. I hear a lot about, um, you know, submarines that are out there. And I'm thinking, are we prepared for for that kind of fight uh, should we encounter one? And uh, we had um, a retired Lieutenant Colonel uh, Dakota Wood from the Heritage Foundation on the program, and he explained a lot of what you were just citing. And um, mm. it, it seemed to me that we, we, we were not 
uh, adequately prepared. And um, I think that's a concern. Yeah, I, I absolutely agree with you. You know, we are we are doing things. We're building our own hypersonic weapons. We're working on a, a defense program against hypersonic weapons, as an example. But we're we're behind. Those those things are moving too slowly. Um, Biden administration tried to cut funding from some of those programs last year, uh, and and then you know you have uh, just as one example, Air Force pilots who are getting much less practice than they did during the Cold War, even though the threat is arguably worse now that we have two uh, adversaries facing us. So there's there's a long way ahead of us with, with regard to the military. And I know no, no one wants to have to spend a lot of money on that or, or you know, rebuild. Um, but, you know, we don't get to, to make those decisions. The, the adversary gets a vote here. Patty Jane Geller is senior policy analyst at the Heritage Foundation. Excellent conversation. Thank you for your expertise. And uh, hopefully uh, we won't find out how unprepared we are. Hopefully we can get to the bottom of this sooner rather than later. Thanks for coming on. All right. Thank you very much for having me. You're welcome. All right, folks, there is more to come straight ahead. Your calls and more. 833-4-VALDEZ, 833-482-5337. Don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. This is America. This is night. This is Rich Valdez. All right, America, welcome back. Rich Valdez, Valdez with an S. And uh, I know some of you get mad and, and uh, put, put comments on my social media saying, we know it ends with an S, all right? Just stop it already. It's like a pet peeve. We already know how to spell your name. No, you don't. I've been doing this for a long time having a name ending with an S. And no matter where I go, they still misspell it. So trust me, uh, I'm not giving up on that one just yet. But I want to give you a quick headline here. Listen to this. A daycare worker has been charged after taping a two-year-old girl's mouth shut. This is real. This really actually happened. A Massachusetts daycare worker was arrested and charged after a mother claimed that the woman taped her two-year-old's mouth shut. Amy Lee, who's an employee at Here We Grow Daycare in Randolph, allegedly placed tape over the young girl's mouth last Thursday, according to Boston 25 News. The girl's mom, Naisha Holmes, told the news outlet that Ms. Lee, 26 years old, admitted to taping her daughter's mouth shut when she picked her up from daycare. And she said she was just trying to cover her tracks because there was already a person who witnessed what happened to my daughter and was going to rat her out. Holmes said that a co-worker who witnessed the incident uh, had reported it to the daycare's director. However, uh, Holmes does not believe that Miss Lee gave an accurate depiction of what actually transpired at the daycare, which her daughter had attended for over a year. In a Facebook post, Holmes said that a witness told her that Lee put masking tape over her daughter's mouth and made her sit in a thinking chair after she had a temper tantrum so that she would not wake up the other children who were sleeping at the time, saying, quote, 
why did you think it was okay to put a two-year-old in a thinking chair and obstruct her breathing and talking? She questioned. I'm angry, and she exposed my child to that type of torture. Uh, torture, excuse me. Um, Ms. Holmes immediately filed a report with the Randolph Police Department and the Department of Children and Families. The next day, she met with Lee and the daycare director. Holmes said she wants to know why she had to report the incident to the police and not the uh, daycare. The enraged mother said she does not believe this was a one-time incident. It's not okay. You're not going to get away with it, she said. I will get justice for my child. That's what she told um, Boston 25 News. Lee is now charged with reckless endangerment of a child and assault and battery. She's been issued a summons to appear in Quincy District Court at a later date. And we will keep you up to speed on this. But I think this is absolutely crazy. I mean, you let me know. I'd love to hear, you know, wherever you are in the country, feel free to give a call. 833-4-VALDEZ, 833-482-5337. What would you do if they taped your kid's mouth shut? And has this happened to you? Did your kid ever come home with a little bit of sticky residue on their face? Oh, that's from the tape they put on me because they said I had to sit in the thinking chair. I, I, uh, I, again, I don't know. Um, You know, when my children were small, I, I was always overreacting. Because I just, you know, they were girls and they were smaller than everybody else. And I just, you know, I was always uh, on edge because I just don't trust people. And this is why I don't trust people, because they do stupid things like this. I mean, who does such a thing? Anyway, I want to continue what we were talking about before. Um, In the uh, first segment, we talked about um, President Trump visiting East Palestine, Ohio. And I have a little bit uh, longer of a clip of audio uh, to give you the full context of what he was discussing. Go right ahead. What this community needs now are not excuses and uh, all of the other things you've been hearing, but answers and results. And that's what I think you're going to say. See, uh, Norfolk Southern needs to fulfill its responsibilities and obligations. And I see that they're starting to come here now, too, because they also were saying they're not coming. But it means that the affected communities beyond the borders of East Palestine are uh, going to be taken care of. And they've said so, and they've said it loud and clear, and I think they probably mean it. I sincerely hope that when your representatives and all of the politicians get here, including Biden, they get back from touring Ukraine, that he's got some money left over, because we're now at $117 billion and as you probably know, Europe, when you add it all up, is at about $10 billion. That's a big difference, wouldn't you say? Yeah, big difference. And uh, one of those things Trump was always good at was pointing out how the United States is, does that much more and, and it usually has an unfair um, uh, situation when it comes to aid uh, internationally. And uh, and he's just keen with it. He really is. It, it's, it's kind of a first nature reaction. But he brings up that Norfolk Southern uh, has to be accountable. And this is something we were talking about yesterday as we discussed this stuff. And I, I think it's interesting that everybody wants to go after, you know, the the owner, operator, the the, the train company. And right, rightfully so. I think there's there's questions about the infrastructure. There's questions about, you know, all sorts of things. And, and I realize that there are other train derailments that happen in the world, and perhaps we don't give them this type of attention. And that's kind of how life works, right? You know, things go unnoticed until they don't go unnoticed anymore, and now people are looking. So I think that's uh, important uh, to notice. Now, you also have the um, Michael Reagan. He is not the 
the Michael Reagan, the son of Ronald Reagan, but Michael Reagan, the EPA administrator. He was on CNN yesterday, and I'm going to give you a little bit of what he um, had to say. Listen to this. Listen, uh, yesterday's announcement will ensure that Norfolk Southern pays for the mess that they've created. And so we are encouraging everyone, seek medical attention, ensure that the state and local health agencies understand those experiences, because as we uh, force Norfolk Southern to take full accountability for what they've done, Norfolk Southern will pay for everything. And anything that we do, Norfolk Southern will reimburse us. They are the ones that caused this mess. They are the ones that are going to clean up and fix this mess. So now I just find it interesting how the Biden administration officials are just they're out there and they're just going hard. And look, I understand it's a train derailment. I I don't know that they did it on purpose. Um, I think accidents do happen. And, you know, government has more capacity than than industry in many ways. So I I think they need to be collaborative here in a situation like this. Let's not make it about we're blaming you and you're blaming me and I'm bringing in this one and I'm going to bring that person in just to blame the other person. These are unnecessary blame games that we don't necessarily need to um, uh, to entertain. And um, I, I just think it's 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 unnecessary and it's unfruitful. But we will continue that conversation straight ahead. 833-4-Valdez is the phone number. Don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. All right, America, welcome back. Rich Valdez here with you. So many things I want to talk about, uh, but the um, the folks in East Palestine uh, chanted no more Joe ahead of Trump's arrival, which I think is kind of funny. Um, and the um, the folks in Seattle are reversing course on defunding the police as crime is literally ravaging locals, and it's it's a big crisis. This is uh, Fox News reporting that Seattle residents um, Victoria Beach and Eli Hosher, as well as Jonathan Cho, sa- said that police shortages have left their city in dire straits in the aftermath of these officials and anti-law enforcement um, activists and their rhetoric. Homicides, listen to this, homicides in Seattle have skyrocketed by 24%, while motor vehicle theft has climbed by 30% in the city year over year. Overall crime is up uh, almost 5%. The mayor, Bruce Harrell, pushed for increased police presence to curb the issue, uh, and he did that just when? Uh, Yesterday, it looks like is when he did it, saying we need an immediate action. We need innovation to respond to our public safety issues. Seattle saw a 4% rise in reported crime last year and uh, with the uh, mayor saying we need more officers to address our staffing crisis. So isn't that interesting how, you know, a couple of years ago it was like defund the police. If you have to hide your uniform, your persona non grata, you did everything wrong. Uh, And now, you know, not so much when you're getting robbed blind. Everybody's like, hey, where's the cop? Get me the cop. You can't make this stuff up. Anyway, there is more to come straight ahead. We're going to continue our conversations this evening. Uh, we're going to talk about what is going on in uh, in the world of politics and your calls as well. 
833-482-5337. Don't go anywhere. Keep it locked right here. America at Night continues. I'm Rich Valdez. that never sleeps 17 miles from madison square garden new york city it's america at night with rich valdez america's favorite late night talk program featuring interesting guests from around the world and calls from across america and now here is your host rich valdez Hi there, good evening, and what's up, America? I am Rich Valdez. That's Valdez with an S, at Rich Valdez on all of the social media. Our telephone number, if you want to join this conversation, it's 833-482-5337-833, the number four, and my last name, Valdez. Now, I'm looking at an article, only a few hours old, in The Hill, and it says that Biden's approval rating is the highest in almost a year. And uh, I think Biden is benefiting from his trip to Ukraine and, um, you know, trying to steer clear of talking about the border and other things in his State of the Union. And he's managing public expectations by kind of not touching the things that he probably shouldn't uh, shouldn't be touching because there's a lot that, you know, he's not doing great on. Uh, But I want to look at those numbers because I think they're interesting. And I want to uh, also... I want to play a quick clip of audio before I introduce our guest, because this clip of audio, I think it's funny, it was on MSNBC this morning, and um, Mark Polyamoropoulos, he's a former CIA agent, and he says um, if if Trump had won in 2020, well, Ukraine would already be a, a part of Russia, it, you know, and he's saying that ultimately Biden is a hero here because he's like Ronald Reagan. Listen to this. What would have happened if Donald Trump had been elected president? What would have happened to Ukraine? You wrote about this in The Washington Times. So so it's, it's pretty extraordinary because if Donald Trump had actually won the election, think about Ukraine would be part of Russia. Uh, the NATO alliance would have been shattered. So, so elections really do matter. And so I think, you know, with Biden's trip uh, to Europe, you know, he is, he is welcomed as not only, the, the, frankly, the savior of Ukraine, but also the savior of Europe as a whole. And, and, and Joe, watching that speech yesterday, all I could think of was someone that I think both of us admire. That's Ronald Reagan. Right. That was a Reagan-esque speech for the ages. And, and so I think this is really going to define Biden's legacy. <laughs> I told you it was funny. Uh, how about Joe Biden becomes savior of the United States, right? Let's uh, let alone uh, savior of Europe. Uh, anyway, you know, everybody's got their own opinions, but um, this one is clearly not rooted in reality. But that that was the the sentiment. And I think some people are, are looking at Biden saying, you know, he's doing less bad than he was doing before. Great, because he was like at rock bottom. So I think it's a good place to to start and try to improve. Uh, let's welcome our guest, Raven Harrison. She was a former congressional candidate, and you can find her on ravenharrison.com. Raven, welcome. Thank you for having me, Rich. Good evening. Uh, welcome. It's great to have you. Um, so I'm, I'm interested in, in your take, uh, because um, it's true that Biden's doing better with um, with his poll numbers, and uh, he seems to be he's hitting the highest point he's had in over a year. It's been a rough year for him. 
Uh, and I think, you know, he's a good politician and he, you know, while, while I don't agree with him and his policies, he knows how to work a crowd. He knows how to do what he's got to do when, when, when he's doing it, as long as he's not forgetting and walking off stage and doing some of the crazy things he does. <laughs> <laughs> right. And if there's no Easter bunny, I think he's Duly right. noted. Uh, but I think it's interesting and, and, and I'd like your, your take on it. How do you, you know, as a political analyst, how do you, uh, how do you account for this? Well, I think that you, you kind of hit it in your introduction when you said that there are certain things that he is staying away from. This is, you know, he's he's running a political gauntlet right now. Mm. So there are things that he needs to be addressing, but they are just, they're volatile. So the border is a volatile issue. Uh, the classified documents, China's interference, Hunter Biden's laptop, these are mm. all volatile issues. So he's having to kind of navigate this minefield in order to to hang on to the poll numbers. But it's uh, unfortunately, this is becoming, you know, the grenades are becoming much bigger and him trying to step around them. I also feel that there's some dissent, which we normally don't see in the Democrat Party, uh, that they I feel like they're hanging him out to dry politically because there are certain things that were normally swept and kept and are just kind of being left hang, hanging out here while he still has yet to announce whether he's not, he's running again. And you know, this was a tactic that he employed back in the last election where there was a lot of speculation. Are you running? Are you running? He said, I'll decide soon. I'll decide. And then when he decided, he stayed in his basement. He didn't go anywhere. He did those Zoom right. calls as often. And it worked for him. Uh, be, because again, steer clear, right? You, you you talk a little bit of smack, but you never get in front of people where you can get punched in the face. And this was his whole strategy. He just didn't do anything. And, and I think he's doing the same thing now. And, and not to belabor the State of the Union, but I, I think his biggest applause line was where he said, we're going to, you know, pass legislation that prevents hotels from charging you a resort fee, especially when they're not a resort. And, and I thought, wow. You know, we're in bad shape if that's what we're talking about resort fees here. I mean, who doesn't you hate a resort You got that right. <laughs> right? Well, we have, exactly. We're, a we're lot of people invaded. would like to be able to afford a resort fee. A lot of people would like to, to, to pay that now as opposed to what the alternative is. But you're absolutely right. I mean, we're kind of sugarcoating some of these some of these issues of you're talking about resort fees and our borders being overrun. And we're sending billions billions in aid to Ukraine when, you know, we're, our economy is on life support. This is just, you know, this is not something we can tap dance around. These are, you know, this is a real kitchen table election. These are kitchen table issues, inflation. You can't talk about jobs and real wages without talking about inflation, which is what he's attempting to do. Let's talk about this, but not that. Uh, So, well, we have unemployment at 3.5. Well, you can't, address that number without talking about the number of people who are a record number of people still receiving COVID benefits and being paid not to work. So are those correct numbers? He's saying wages are up, but real wages are down statistically, factually, um, because you have to factor in inflation. You have right. to. So that's where we kind of have to get through the the political, you can only dance, dance for so long. But one of the biggest things, Rich, was right before the State of the Union, which I watched, and I have to honestly say it wasn't of, of the speeches I normally see for, for Biden, that wasn't as much as the fingers on the chalkboard <laughs> as right. I expected. It was he, he, he came out, he kind of addressed McCarthy and the group and 
I have to give him kudos for that. But a Gallup poll came out that morning and said 68 percent of Democrats don't want him to run again. So that's kind of very telling. I mean, we have our own in the Republican circles. We have our own polls and we all know kind of how polls work. But that's a very, very telling number that prior to the State of the Union, 70, almost 70 percent of his party doesn't want him to run or has questions about his his ability. So they can only they're going to be able to outrun that for so long. But it's it's slowly catching him. All right, America, we're on with Raven Harrison. She's the author of Raven's Mantle, Fighting the Betrayal of America. You can get it on Amazon. I recommend getting a couple of copies. And Raven Harrison can be found at ravenharrison.com. We're going to continue our conversation with her. Check her out on Twitter, at Raven Harrison. And uh, I want to get your take on, did this incident in Ohio help or hurt Joe Biden? We're going to discuss that straight ahead, plus your phone calls, 833-482-5337, 833-4-VALDEZ. Don't go anywhere. Don't move a muscle. America at Night with Rich Valdez. America at Night with Rich Valdez. All right, America, welcome back. And uh, our guest is Raven Harrison. I wanted to uh, get into a little bit of a piece I saw here in in the uh, Newsweek, newsweek.com, how Joe Biden's approval rating has changed since the Ohio train derailment. And uh, Raven Harrison, I think it's only, you know, gone up by a point, but I think it's fascinating that it went up a point and not down a point, considering Biden's choice to say, look, I'm going to go hang out with uh, Volodymyr Zelensky uh, and not the people of this huge, um, you know, train derailment that's been in the news for days upon days upon days on end. Right. Um, that was very telling. I, I, I would be questioning whether that point was among, you know, people on his staff, because um, the numbers <laughs> that I'm seeing are just across the that President Trump made it there today. And, mm-hmm. and not only do we have Biden in the Ukraine, but we have Reagan in Africa. Um, so the the response on this has been horrific. I can't imagine any other natural disaster hurricanes where it would be acceptable for a 12-day response from the government. And this is 100 percent, you know, the president's responsibility. So I, my heart goes out to the people of East Palestine because it just they've been hung out to dry, literally. And they're there kind of trying to pick up the pieces. But, you know, if we're going to give credit where credit is due, it was this occurred on the 3rd of February there was no response from Governor DeWine until the 5th, two days later, uh, before the governor got involved, and then 12 days before the EPA stepped in. So this is this would be a failing report card no matter, you know, who's at the helm. This is a, That's a failing report card. Yeah, I, I agree with that 100%. And, and I think it's, um, it's just part of their strategy. It's like, oh, we have this thing there? Let's let's go to Ukraine. Let's go to Africa. Right. I think they're just like, you know, don't go anywhere near the center of the United States. (laughs) Nowhere near Ohio, nowhere near Pennsylvania. Don't do it because uh, ultimately it's going to cost us. And and I mean, it seems like counterintuitive to an honest person. But this seems to work for Biden time and again. 
Well, it's been working for him in the past, but statistically the tide really is changing. Rich, we saw, I don't know if you were aware, they had a poll that came out the top of January that said for the first time, people's concern was government leadership. That overtook um, the inflation and the high gas prices. That's really telling that with people still paying sky high gas prices and, and shortages at the grocery store, that that was their number one concern. Uh, with everything going on, the border, that they felt that government leadership was not there. We noticed he just had a physical, and they did not say anything about any mental or cognitive exam. Normally, that's that's front and center. So we, you know, we all realize that he's being coddled, you know, quite a bit. But the end result is, I, I, I don't think, you know, what they believe was going to work last time, the strategy that the American people for selling that this time. The American people aren't buying it. Yeah, uh, I'm, and I hope you're right. I, I really do. I hope it doesn't work twice because that would be horrible. And let me just remind the audience that we're we're on with Raven Harrison. Uh, she's the author of Raven's Mantle, Fighting the Betrayal of America. It's coming out later this year. Uh, you definitely want to get a copy, get two copies, um, pre-order it when you can. Now, um, Raven Harrison, I want to switch gears to some of the other uh, big sure. domestic uh, policy or domestic uh, items that are on your radar. What are you uh, yeah. analyzing lately? Well, we've been going through um, one of the big points we've been talking about is um, digital currency. So mm-hmm. Biden has rolled out this this thing to test in banks digital cur- currency, which I think is very dangerous. Uh, the ability to um, to inflate currency, remove it, add it, um, and it, it really underscores the problem we have with spending. We've been talking about people's 401k, something called ESG has made its way into the no, market yeah. and its environmental, social governance, which means people's 401ks are being dictated by climate change. And most people don't even know that. So they're losing value in their retirement and their investments without even realizing it, that this has been put into legislation. So what we really want to do is get people just aware of all these elements. Ultimately, we need to be able, we, we have to get this government functioning. And that's not, a, that's not a partisan issue. The government has to function. The Congress' fundamental job is to pass a balanced budget. And they haven't done that. So it depends on what you look. Some say 1995. Some say we haven't had a balanced budget in decades. And that's their fundamental job. Could you imagine, Rich, going in to apply for a job and what are your credentials? Well, I've been printing money like it's going out of style. And, (laughs) you know, we keep raising the debt ceiling. And, you know, it's just so that's the first thing is all these. You know, they're talking about more impeachments and hearings and investigations and you know, we got to get back to the people's business, and we need Congress to get back to balance, passing a balanced budget, which means we have to stop kicking up the debt ceiling, and we have to stop printing money, and we have to start stop funneling billions into other countries when Americans are on the ropes. That's what I'm, I'm, I'm primarily focused with, is letting people know that we have to get back to the government running properly. He can't, the executive should not be issuing executive orders like Tic Tacs. Congress needs to to pass a budget. The Senate needs to have hearings 
if all these things are happening, stop having investigations. People need to start going to jail. (laughs) We need to start seeing a perk walk. We need to start seeing some accountability and, and them not rubber stamping this. So this is kind of a, this is a notice for all the branches of the people are watching and we're, we're done taking it. Now, Raven Harrison, uh, I think you, you bring up an excellent point, uh, which for whatever reason made me think of 2024. And with, uh, with that <laughs> yeah. being said, what, what do you, what's your take on 2024? Who emerges? Who's still yet to come? Uh, give me some of your specula- speculation on that. Sure. We've got a lot of, you know, we've got some early front runners and a lot of backbiting that's going to be on both sides. The Democrats tend to be unanimous and they tend to be a group think. So anybody who doesn't lock and step usually gets canceled. They're going to put up, they have very few heroes, you know, on the left, but they do have Manchin, they have Gavin Newsom, and, you know, the silent rumors are about Michelle Obama running. Um, so that's what the left strategy, the fact that Gavin Newsom has gone to the border, even though he has 140 miles of it in California, will let the <laughs> listeners right. make their own on that. But then for our side, the biggest thing is we are already divided pretty much between Republican and Democrat down the middle. Now the Republican Party is threatening to fracture down that half by you know taking sides. We're getting the, the Trump versus the rumblings of DeSantis. I'm hearing a lot of people, well, DeSantis is just kind of stockpiling money just in case. Nobody stockpiles money just in case. So right. I think what we're looking at is a, is a crowded Republican field like we had in 2016. Nikki Haley has just jumped in. President Trump is already in. Um, I do believe that, you know, where there's smoke, there's fire. So if DeSantis is, is stockpiling a lot of money, then there's a reason for that. Uh, so I would not be surprised to see him throw his hat in the ring, and there are going to be a few others. There's been rebelings at Governor Abbott, Ted Cruz, some others are are vying for the spot. So I think we're going to have a very, very crowded Republican field for 2024. Yeah, I, I, I think I would agree with that. What do you think about uh, Pompeo? Um, in terms of running for president? Well, I, I noticed you general? didn't mention him. Do you, do you think he throws his hat in the ring or no? I think that it's, it's definitely a possibility, but he seems more tactical to me. And with this, with this kind, these options up there, I feel like that would be, hmm, that would be kind of a sketchy. He's popular. He's got a good name, but he's up against some real heavyweights in terms of a name. And then we've mm-hmm. got, you know, Pence, you know, who um, seems to be the, the, the redheaded stepchild nobody wants to talk about. <laughs> Yeah. (laughs) Raven Harrison, uh, former congressional candidate and author, I want to thank you for being with us. It was a pleasure speaking with you. Hope to do it again soon. I'm looking forward to it. Thanks, Rich. Have a great evening. You too. All right, folks, more to come straight ahead. Our conversations continue with what's going on with free speech in the world of Internet browsers. Don't go anywhere. It's Rich Valdez on America at Night. Welcome back. Rich Valdez here. And our telephone number is 833-482-5337. And you know, in recent weeks, we've been talking about technology a lot. We've talked about the uh, 
chat GPT and the AI and, and how it's just applying in so many areas, the AI lawyer, the AI rabbi that was using AI, and not a rabbi using it, it was the rabbi himself was AI. The sermons were being written uh, by AI. And it, it just it goes to show you that technology is moving at an incredibly fast pace. And if you don't have the right people in charge, you know, you get these problems that we saw at Twitter with the Twitter files and you get censorship and you get all sorts of problems. And uh, I, I feel that it's important that we diversify, right? You have to have more options so that we can actually move forward. And one of those options is Tusk. It's a browser uh, that is focused on free speech. Tuskbrowser.com is the website. And Jeff Berman is the founder and CEO of Tusk. Jeff Berman, welcome to the program. Thanks, Richard. Great to be on. Yes. So tell me a little bit about um, what inspired you to start this free speech web browser? You know, it, I was actually watching a, a show with Mark Levin. It was the Mark Levin show back about a year ago. And um, he was talking about if you have a talent, uh, you know, for free speech or for America, you should bring it forth. And I realized, you know, I was in the real estate business for 30 some odd years and I've been building also browsers because I like being in the software business. And it gave me the idea that, well, what about a free speech browser? Because all the browsers out there are basically connected to search engines. And the search engines certainly are not free speech. They censor people. And it turns out, well, so do the browsers. And what I mean is if you, if you have a news feed on a browser, let's just take the Google one. Uh, it's going to show you stories that's from the left. It's not going to, unless you start digging around and you start changing things, you're not going to find easy to find stories. So I decided, the first thing I decided was to build a browser. And the browser is really simple. It's uh, just like a lot of browsers, but it gives you a news feed that's conservative. It also gives you easy to use links that are all conservative links. And um, then I realized, well, what's really missing is the search engine. And so I started down down the road of building a search engine, and we've built a prototype. We're just in the midst of finishing the prototype, but it's working out rather well. And the prototype in it, it allows you to see right-leaning stories without doing a lot of searching. So, for instance, if you say, hey, show me the Biden laptop from, I'll say, from the perspective of right-leaning users, it will come up and show you Fox News, Breitbart all the stories that you want to read. If you want to see something that's, I'll say, midway 50-50, you could go to our centerpiece and it will give you kind of a 50-50 reading. And if you want to see what's going on in the left, when it comes to the, you know, a story like Biden laptop, it will give you the left perspective. And we as, you know, as conservatives, we believe in free speech. We believe that we should see all sides. We may not agree, but we're not out to censor people. And unfortunately, on the left, they've decided that misinformation, which, you know, I hate to say this, but it's, it's a page out of, out of, out of the World War II and the Nazis where things were misinformation and they just censored it. Right. And, and this seems to be the case nowadays where nobody really is willing to have that battle of wits. Nobody's really looking to oppose a viewpoint. They're just trying to silence you if, if they oppose you. And it's completely un-American, in my opinion, Jeff Berman. But uh, do, do you think that 
offering, well, let me back up and ask it this way. Uh, how has the reception for the browser been? It's been pretty good. I, I think a lot more people, when they learn of it and, you know, they get to use it and then they get the search engine that's going to, you know, we're working on that and get to show you from right leaning. I think it's going to be popular. You know, it's, it's hard to tell because you think people will, will, will go to it, but they're so used to their habits. They're stuck on Google or they're stuck on Brave or they're stuck on DuckDuckGo. And, and by the way, at DuckDuckGo, they think they get confused between privacy, which DuckDuckGo says they offer. And then, you know, I don't to know to exactly what degree, um, but they're not, they're, they're center left or left. And we are truly conservatives that believe um, that the right should be heard and should not be censored. Yeah, and I think this is important because with um, without access to information, without uh, this robust, healthy debate, this pu- public discourse, uh, I think it's we the people that lose out, right? Ultimately, we, we, we don't have the the tools that we need, I think, to, to really operate as a civil society if we're not having and engaging in this debate. I think that's fundamental to our society. It's fundamental to how they started this country, right? You know, the, the constitutional convention, it wasn't all fun and games and, uh, but it was that intense dialogue and it needed to happen and it happened. And I don't know that we're having that intense dialogue anymore because people have just decided to say, you know what, I'd rather just silence you. I'd rather just get rid of you and, uh, you know, figure out another way around this topic. So, um, Jeff, no doubt. Yeah. And I, I just want to remind everybody who we're on with and give them your website. Uh, founder and CEO of Tusk and TuskBrowser.com is the website. Uh, Jeff Berman, if you'll stick around, I want to continue this conversation, uh, but I want to bring up a couple of other different points. So if anybody wants to join the conversation, now's a good time. 833-4-VALDEZ, 833-4, the number uh, four, and then followed by Valdez, and that's Valdez with an S. Don't go anywhere. Don't move a muscle. We're coming right back. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. Valdez. That's 833-482-5337. 833-4-VALDEZ. That's Valdez with an S. The kind of possibilities that come when people who live not in captivity but in freedom. 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 There is no sweeter word than freedom. There is no nobler goal than freedom. There's no higher aspiration than freedom. Americans know that and you know it. All right. So that's Joe Biden talking about freedom and um, even a broken clock is right twice a day. Right. But I'm, I'm looking at an article here. He's talking about freedom and I'm thinking we're, we're experiencing the exact opposite of that. The antithesis of freedom is what you get when Microsoft's AI chatbot really kind of starts to expose people, put their information out there, ruining user reputations. Those are all the things that are happening. I'm looking at this piece in Yahoo Finance uh, that says that concerns are starting to stack up for the Microsoft Bing artificially intelligent chatbot. The AI has threatened to steal nuclear codes, unleash a virus, told a reporter to leave his wife, and is now standing up to threats of being shut down. 
And I think this is a, a fascinating thing to take a look at because, you know, we're trying to perfect these things, and these things seem to have a mind of their own. Uh, Jeff Berment is our guest, founder and CEO of Tusk. You could check them out at tuskbrowser.com, a free speech browser. Jeff Berment, what do you think about this uh, Microsoft Bing artificially intelligent chatbot? Well, I, I haven't used their chat box, but I have been using the uh, chat uh, GPT um, mm. open source. And, and here's what I've found. It's really very fascinating. So we, I put in Tusk Browser, and it basically told me I was just a typical browser. didn't say anything about freedom of speech. I then even gave it, this is the second or third time I've given it, like it has amnesia. I gave it the website, and I said, tell me about how we see free speech. And it refused to do it. And it's, it just gives me a bunch of garble that uh, one of the big garbles they give you is that free speech needs to be regulated because of hate speech or violence. Now, we all agree that violence, there's no place in our society for violence of, na of that nature. But free speech, there is a, a place for it. And even the chat uh, G GPT seems to want to disregard that and always modify it with some reason why you can't have it like misinformation or something of that nature. And I think, you know, the way, the way I think us conservatives look at it, more clarity, uh, more information is better than less. And I have, I have serious concerns about uh, this chat GPT and how it's going to be misused. And you can already see, you just, you just said three or four things that it mislabeled or misunderstands or says wild things. And I think we got a long ways to go in this, but you got to remember that it's the input that's being put in by the developers, which is the outcome coming. And as I said, I put in, well, tell me about Tusk in a free speech browser. It couldn't come up with anything about free speech other than I kept asking it. I gave it the website. So there's something up with this that is not good. And I, I have my, I have my eye on it. I, I am worried that this will become of a habit. And what the progressives like to do is kind of install this and then make it the main frame and people get used to it and they get used to more of this. And so we're going to get more of it on, on, um, you know, eventually probably Google will have something similar, but we have it already on Bing. Jeff Berman, uh, I think this is, you know, obviously it's the next step in so much of what we're doing, but when you step back and you look at it, you say, man, this is actually crazy stuff that we have these um, AI chat devices that, that are able to really add so much to a conversation, whether, whether it's right or wrong. And, and I think this is, um, uh, I don't know. I'm going to use the word scary, right? I think it's a scary time where I guess some people should be excited and say, wow, but it's great. We're doing so well. You know, small businesses can benefit. And I think all that could be true. But when you have web browsers where, you know, to me, a web browser is the modern day uh, equivalent of of the card catalog at a library where you were just looking for something that existed there. And lamentably, that's not the case. Now it's kind of like you've got to show proof of, you've got to show who you are in order to get, information. And if you're a uh, conservative, you're going to get information that, that you're not looking for, right? They're going to give you the, the, the wrong yeah, stuff. Well, it's just so how, bizarre. How I liken this, yeah, how I liken this is you go to the library and your books are down on, you know, the fourth floor of the basement. They're nowhere to be found in the first floor. 
And this is what the web has done. This is the reason I jumped in, was I felt that, wow, this is going the wrong direction. There should be more free speech, not less. Right. And you see what's going on with Twitter and Facebook and their denials and their mis- they're hiding information, which turned out to be not misinformation. In fact, I asked I asked the chat GPT the other day about the Biden laptop, and they, they said, oh, it could very well be misinformation. Well, we all know this is not true, and yet it's still spitting this out. So I worry that people will start taking this as what I'll say what Godsend would, would tell you. And it's just people putting information in, and then it's searching, and it's obviously discriminating against my website, saying, well, we don't believe in free speech. And so, uh, you know, they're not even they're not even reading my website or that they are. They refuse to talk about that. We're focused on making sure there is free speech. Point well made. Yeah, it's a it's an interesting time to be alive. We're going to continue our conversation, plus your calls and more straight ahead. 833-4-VALDEZ, 833-482-5337. Our guest is Jeff Vermont. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. No hair, no care. And live on the air, it's Rich Valdez. All right, America, welcome back. Uh, let's hit the phones, 833-4825-337, 833-4-VALDEZ is the phone number. Uh, Lance in Galloway, New Jersey on WOND with a question for Jeff Berment. Go right ahead, Lance. Welcome. Hey, gracious, good evening. Thanks for taking my call, Rich. Mr. Berman, I wanted to ask you two quick questions. You just earlier said that the person that develops the browser really is sliding in his uh, influencing skills or opinion. So will your browser have what I consider the the five C's that I look for or the or the like a, a, a molecule, you know, have different things to bond together? Will it have clarity? Will it have common sense? Will it have uh, cohesiveness, consistency, and of course, compassion. And my other question is, which which author would you compare this to? The way I'm visualizing it, uh, the the author Machiavelli with the prince, the ends justifies the means, or the means justify the ends, or the wonderful Benjamin Franklin who used to have in Poor Richard's Almanac various ways people could express their ideas, even in his time. Uh, definitely would like to listen. Thank you, Lance. Jeff? Hey, thanks, Lance. Um, well, first of all, Benjamin Franklin, uh, the, uh, we need to, to make sure society is a good society that, that does promote pre- free speech. That means, though, that, that all sides should be heard, uh, and it's up to you to decide which side makes good common sense and common sense. I mean, and and I've been uh, on this earth for quite a while now and uh, the common sense is super important. And I find that things like this chat GP is not common sense. It doesn't make sense. Now I just put in that I wanted to look for a restaurant in my town and I got, you know, five or six great selections 
So all great that way. But when I asked it about free speech, it said to me um, something to the nature, and I'll actually read this exactly what it said is, um, where was that uh, provision that it said free speech um, should be or can be restricted because uh, it could cause disinformation or harassment or, <laughs> or free or hate speech. None of these make sense. That is free speech should be free speech and, and you should be able to hear all sides. But in the end, you make the final decision. And that's what we're doing. Um, so we're not burying stories. You can see left, right and center. And that way you get your own viewpoint and you make the decision, hopefully for the good. All right. Thank you, Jeff Berman. Thank you for the call, Lance. I appreciate it. Nice to hear from you. Uh, big shout out to WOND. And Jeff Berman, what's the bottom line here for you? I, obviously, I don't think that AI is going anywhere. I don't think the left is going anywhere. How do you see uh, the future starting to unfold with respect to technology? Well, it's moving at a, at a very fast pace. I mean, where we've gone in the last 10 or 15 years is sort of crazy. Uh, and I do see that the, that the chat G, GPT will be around and Microsoft will use it. We need to be very wary of what's being spit out as a, um, as a gospel from computers because it really is input coming from human beings. And if they're fooling you if you get this kind of answer. Now, if you want to get a, a recipe or something, maybe it's great. I worry for kids that they start using this and they stop thinking um, about how they should view things and they're letting the computer write stories for them, write their book reports. None of this is good. Our, our kids are failing in school and we need to help them. And this doesn't necessarily help them. This just, you know, it's a Band-Aid, not a good thing. All right, folks, Jeff Berman is founder and CEO of Tusk. You can check out Tusk at tuskbrowser.com, tuskbrowser.com. Uh, Jeff Berman, I want to thank you for being with us and sharing so much about what's going on in the tech world. Rich, always a pleasure. And anytime you want to you know, look me up, I'm happy to get on and chat about what's going on in the tech world. You got it. And, folks, there is more to come straight ahead. We are going to get to your calls and more with Open Phone America. Of course, that is the tradition started by Larry King back in 1978. Any topic, any place in America, give us a call. It's fair game. I try to keep it topical with our conversation, but listen, I'm open. I'm open to having discussions about anything and everything because it truly is one of the, the most remarkable parts of the show where people from all over the country get to chime in and, um, you know, let their voices be heard on this late night town hall forum, America at Night. So uh, let me give you the phone number, 833-482-5337. Of course, we have the legacy line, 866-505-4626. You're welcome to call on either one of those lines. And I'm looking forward to our discussions on all the hot topics of the day coming straight up. So don't go anywhere. Don't move a muscle. Keep it locked right here. I am Rich Valdez. This is America at Night, and we are coming right back.
Live from the city that never sleeps. 17 miles from Madison Square Garden, New York City. It's America at Night with Rich Valdez, America's favorite late night talk program, featuring interesting guests from around the world and calls from across America. And now, here is your host, Rich Valdez. Hi there, good evening, and what's up, America? I am Rich Valdez, and that is Valdez with an S, by the way. You can get me on social media at Rich Valdez. Um, I try to share as much as I can on Instagram and Truth Social and Getter and all the rest of the platforms. So I hope you'll engage with us there. And of course, this is your forum, uh, America at Night, this late night town hall where you get to be heard any topic on just about anything. Um, and of course, your opinions on what we have been discussing all night. 8334 uh, Valdez, 833, the number four, my last name, Valdez, is the phone number. And there are a bunch of uh, headlines that I want to go over, and there's a few funny stories I'm going to get into as well. Uh, but the House Oversight Committee is uh, weighing a subpoena whether if Hunter Biden misses on his deadline of today to produce documents on this foreign business dealings question. And will they take action? Will they not? I don't know. Well, we shall see how that turns out uh, tomorrow and in the days to come. Uh, there's also, uh, I mentioned this earlier, but it's worthy of repetition. Seattle is now reversing course after they made this big stink about defunding the police, which was an experiment that ended in disaster with residents saying, you know, hey, look, we need, we need cops. You also have uh, some House Republicans are visiting uh, Kiev, all right, or Kiev, as uh, it's known in Ukraine. Uh, saying that there's strong bipartisan support for Ukraine to give them everything they need. And I think, you know, it's probably not the best word choice. Um, and I think Riz Lindsey Graham was taking fire for that one. And, uh, of course, there's uh, some news on the radio front. NPR, my least favorite uh, radio network, is cutting their workforce by 10% because of an advertising slowdown that has hit public media. Now, let me tell you, um, it's not just public media. I mean, I think whenever there is a recession on the on the the cusp of occurring and you have several um, other economic factors like inflation and things, people are trying to figure out how they're buying eggs, which are extraordinarily expensive, let alone, you know, how they're going to be advertising. And I think it's uh, interesting to note that all advertising, people advertise where it makes sense for them. And, you know, b before the uh, we started the show, or at least this hour of the show, somebody was on the phone asking, oh, why why have uh, has so-and-so abandoned uh, a particular product and sponsor? And all I could say is that when it, that's, it could not be further from the truth. Advertisers advertise certain times of the year on certain programs. Sometimes they do it for just for a season. And, you know, for, for a listener to think that somebody, you know, is canceling a, a sponsor is absurd. It's just absurd to think that. And here you have NPR, National Public Radio, that has cut their workforce by 10%. This is um, an interesting thing. I, I personally don't believe that we need National Public Radio. I don't think it's something that the taxpayers should fund, even if it's in part. I know they, they do some sort of... Uh, of um, 
sponsorship of it through the government. And then they, they go and they do their annual drive and they sell you a little tote bag or whatever it is. And, uh, and they raise the rest of their money to support the radio stations. But um, that's where they are. And uh, CEO of NPR, John Lansing, says there's a sharp decline in sponsorship revenue. And again, you know, I recently did a, an interview with Barrett News Media. And they uh, report on sports and talk radio, news talk radio. And we were talking about that. And then they asked me, you know, why do you think there's a lack of center-left programming on on radio in general. And I told him, well, I think, you know, again, there was a, a, a talk radio network that was left-leaning out of New York called Air America. It was, uh, let me see, it was WLIB 1590 it started out as um, on the AM dial. And it really wasn't good. You know, I mean, that's all I could say was it wasn't very entertaining. It wasn't very informative. It really wasn't something where you would sit there and say, I really want to listen to this. Now, again, some people may make that critique of me, and that's fine. You can do that, and you're welcome to to go somewhere else and listen to a different program. Uh, but when it's NPR, they, they were the only game in town, really, for, you know, center-left, left-leaning uh, programming. So there weren't a lot of options. And, and they still – they had the market cornered on liberalism, and they couldn't dominate. And it's because I think most people, even in New York and San Francisco and some of the most liberal areas – they they just people still want to hear good radio whether they agree with it or not right there's many listeners listening right now to this program saying i can't stand this guy valdez he is a blowhard he's so full of himself he's this and he's that i've been hearing that stuff for a long time and i love it right what the old saying your haters are your motivators and if you're out there and you want to call and uh, chop it up a little bit happy to do that let's mix it up 833 Three three seven eight three three four Valdez eight three three the number four Valdez. I see the phones are ringing, and I'm happy to see that. And we've got some calls that we're going to get to momentarily. But I wanted to uh, just close the loop on this: the um, NPR and National Public Radio. There, there are things that are extraordinary about NPR, and one of which is they 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 have some interesting programming. And I know one of the programs that I once listened to, it was a Saturday afternoon. I took my daughter somewhere and I was waiting in the car. So I, I said, you know, let me turn on NPR to see what they're talking about, to see how I could, you know, build that into my show. At the time, I was doing a local show in New York City. And it was fascinating to me because I turn it on and I hear a woman talking. And I have this, um, you know, this audio clip somewhere. I, we will dig it up and I, I promise to play it for you because I think you're going to love it. But there was a clip of a woman saying... I have a dog, and my dog, I think, is a racist. And she goes on to say that she felt that every time her dog was around um, men of color, that the dog began to become very aggressive. And you know, she ultimately connects with someone who says, oh, well, you can bring this dog to Yale University, to the center of I don't know what, X, Y, and Z, ABC, where they'll study your dog. And uh, they study, you know, dogs that are suffering from different things, uh, not the least of which is racism. And this was a fascinating, you know, back and forth dialogue where people went to to Stanford, to Yale University, and uh, it, it just, it was so bizarre. But it was a real thing. And ultimately, it turned out that the woman herself was someone that 
that <laughs> she just she was the one that was the racist and because she had apprehension in holding the leash when she was around um, uh, men in particular men of color she would kind of tense up on the leash the dog would pick up on it and it would you know the dog would become more aggressive uh, because the the Stan- the not Stanford it's in Stanford Connecticut the Yale uh, New Haven rather the Yale researcher said no 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 um, it's you know the the dog's not a racist, but they went through extraordinary, exhaustive exams. And this was the whole thing was so funny to listen to. So I just made fun of it along the way and included it on a radio show I did years ago. And I have the clip uh, somewhere in my podcast. And by the way, check out the podcast. This is America with Rich Valdez. And while you're at it, get the daily podcast of this program in case you've missed any of the the um, interviews that we've done. You can listen to them anytime on demand and you could stream the show as well. The show is uh, at Rich Valdez America at Night, Rich Valdez America at Night.com. You can just hit the listen live button. You could listen live. So if you don't get all three hours in your market and the radio station you're listening to, you can always get it right on your cell phone, right on your tablet, right on your computer, however you're listening. Um, I tend to listen to a lot of things streaming. Anyway, I do want to get to your calls, and we're going to do that right now. Let's go to Sarah, Bedford, Indiana, WBIW. Sarah, welcome. You're on with Rich Valdez. Go right ahead. Hey, hey uh, when I was growing up in Brooklyn, there was a, a left-leaning radio station. It was, depending on the hour you listened to, it was, it was either center-left or someone's far-left, and it was called WBAI. Do you remember that? Still around. Socialist station. Okay, okay, I didn't hallucinate that. You know, I'm old now, my memory kind of falters, but I think outside of that, and I know there's a world, like a, a national syndicate democracy now, but they, the left-leaning stations tend to be outnumbered in talk radio, and I think it's because, this is just my theory, but I think that um, the mainstream media, even in the 80s and 70s, was always, a, usually had a liberal slant to it, so... To use the lingo of the left, I think talk radio represents a safe space for conservatives. (laughs) That's a a good point. A lot of people don't feel like they can turn on the news and and get everything and get the rest of the story, like Paul Harvey used to say. So I I think you're right. It it created this, this place. And you could have all of the free market competition in the world, which is welcome and it's there. I mean, it's there irrespective of your political affiliation. However, uh, it, it it's not as much with uh, left-leaning uh, talk radio hosts because that programming just doesn't seem to sell. They could never rack up sponsors uh, because people weren't willing to, to, to appeal to those audiences because they just weren't as large. And I think that's ultimately, it's, it's the court of public opinion. It's people. People are voting with their ears and with their ear time where, you know, what are they going to take their time to listen to? And it lamentably wasn't Air America. So I think you bring up a good point, Sarah, that, you know, it just uh, it's just kind of the way the cookie crumbled. Yeah, I, I think you're right. And also, if you listen to left, especially far left radio, they kind of have a hectoring tone and almost like yes. they're going to tell you the way it is. And also, you are center right and yet you will listen to other people who even though they are sometimes not too friendly to you you try to engage them in civil conversation and at least listen to what they have to say and i don't think left very good at that nowadays i wasn't really good at it either i'll tell you the truth a little inside baseball here 
uh, you know, being a talker coming out of New York, I was ready for the fight all the time, looking forward to it. And, uh, and you know, the guys that mentored me, these guys were always looking for a fight. But I ended up in Bohannon's chair. And I said, oh, my gosh, Jimbo, this guy is a, le a legend. And uh, I can't come here and bring my, you know, um, my rude New York ways. <laughs> so I said, you know, I'm, I'm just here visiting. I'm just here. You know, I'm babysitting. I, I can't sit here and hang up on people and get nasty. Even if they were getting nasty with me, I said, I got to, you know, take the high road here because, you know, it's Jimbo Hannon. And, and, and I did that. And it seems to have stuck. And so I try to be as cordial as I can be. Um, you know, it's still in there. You know, um, I'm sure my mother would yell at me if she saw the way I, I took a lot of calls in my career. But I do try and I do want them to make a point. And, uh, you know, lamentably, they don't often make the points that, that make a lot of sense. But I give them their shot because that's what this is all about. And you're right about the hectoring. That's what I, in that interview I did. That's exactly what I told them. I said, they're always whining, crying and complaining about something, usually about how bad America is. And that's just something that's tough for me to tolerate. Anyway, Sarah, I appreciate it. Uh, we've got to take a pause right here. Then we're going to get to your calls in North Carolina, Montana, and all across this fruited plain. Don't move a muscle. I'm Rich Valdez. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. Call now, 833-4-VALDEZ. That's 833-482-482. 5337 8334 all right, that's Joe Biden again in his um, what was earlier labeled by some clown on MSNBC a Reagan-esque speech. Wow. Anyway, that's a Joe El Baboso Biden, the president of the United States and apparently the savior of Ukraine. If you've been listening to the audio clips from the left wing media, let us go to uh, Robert Charleston, North Carolina, WTMA. Go right ahead, sir. Robert, are you home? Anybody there? Going once, going twice. No Robert. All right, we continue. Let's go to David in Pittsburgh, KDKA. Welcome, David. You're on with Rich Valdez. Go right ahead. Uh, hello, Rich. Um, my condolences to Jim Bohannon's friends and family. We just lost him in recent months here. But yes. uh, I have to say with this Ohio train wreck, I disapprove of Joe Biden and the way he's handled this. I think he should have had the head of the EPA out there from day one when this first happened to handle the environmental right. issues better. After yeah, all, listen. Joe Biden is supposed to be a member of the Environmentalist Party that's very mm -hmm. concerned about global warming and all that stuff, isn't he? Oh, yeah, the Green New Deal. And, you know, what makes this worse for me is you have people, right? You have an entire EPA with an EPA, even if you don't get the cabinet member out there, you got to get somebody out there doing something, get somebody from FEMA, just really just get it rolling. And I'm not saying they're not there, but, you know, 
put a larger presence and, and get in front of this thing instead of just saying we're going to make Norfolk Southern pay and and just focusing on on casting blame. People need relief. This is a big deal. You know, when I saw that video of the lady's chickens dying, I said, man, this stuff is clearly dangerous. It's toxic stuff. You can't breathe it in. It's killing chickens. Um, unless, you know, the argument is, no, the chickens died of natural causes. You know, it's, it happens all the time. Uh, I, I wouldn't buy that for a second. So I'm thinking that this is one of those things where they, they should have done better. And it, it, it's a lack of leadership coming from the top. The fish rots from the head. And you're right in terms of the environmental issues and um, the, the lack of, of anything that's going on. It's horrible. How, how do you make yourself to be, um, you know, the most progressive since FDR, like Bernie Sanders was saying yesterday, uh, uh, Joe Biden is the most progressive president since FDR. Uh, really? Really? I mean, how are you going to be that progressive if you're going to let all this stuff happen? And I saw all these memes all over like Instagram and Twitter where people were saying, where's Greta Thunberg? How come she's not in East Palestine, you know, making a big deal about the um, the environment? So it's, it's fascinating to see how the environment only applies to certain people in certain situations. And if they don't agree with you, then, ah, you know what, the heck with this guy. Breathe it in. Take deep breaths, deep breaths right under the black cloud. You know, it's just it's such a, a sad state of affairs that we have going on here. But uh, thank you, David. I appreciate your call and uh, your listenership from KDKA uh, because we, A, we, we love you guys, and B, uh, it was a good point. It was a good point that Joe Biden's not living up to his, um, his full potential with um, the crazies, the, what I like to call the environmental crazies uh, in the Democrat Party not the least of which is my least favorite congresswoman from the Bronx and Queens, uh, Congresswoman AOC, all out crazy. And uh, you know her as Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. And I haven't played some funny audio of her in a while, so we'll get some queued up for that for, for tomorrow maybe. But, uh, you know, another one that's also being quiet, Greta Thunberg, quiet. A lot of people are just awfully quiet right now, and they just will sit back and allow the um, these new uh, environmentalists and uh, complainers to to just to try and uh, walk away with this thing and and you know sweep it under the rug and I don't think it's gonna it's gonna work. This is a big deal. People are complaining. People are enthralled with this story because it's so serious. And you know how do you avoid these big black mushroom clouds in the middle of Ohio? Anyway. We're going to continue with your calls and more. Don't go anywhere. Don't move a muscle. Keep it locked right here. I am Rich Valdez. It's America at night. All right, America, welcome back. It's Rich Valdez. Give us a call. You heard the number, 833-4-VALDEZ. I'm looking forward to speaking with you and uh, checking out your uh, commentary on the uh, interwebs. But I want to um, also get to the rest of your calls. Let's go to Evergreen, Montana, K-O-F-I. Frank in Evergreen, Montana. You're on with Rich Valdez. Welcome, sir. 
Hi, Rich. Uh, gee, we were talking about how great NPR is and how about a transparent wonder world it is. But remember, <laughs> I remember as being a Mr. Mom watching Barney and Friends. Yeah, I love. I did that too. I took care of my children and watched Barney and Friends as well. Oh, and all these gifts you can buy. Get a a purple dinosaur. Uh, I mean, for Democrats in name only, I suppose. But it's uh, <laughs> but it was a rhino, or or who knows? But it was for everybody, and oh, it was just so wonderful. It would just make your brain just turned into jello. Well, you know, speaking of Jello brains, did you know that Barney's coming back, Frank? Oh gosh, he, he's our governor, Gen Forte. He's he's got plastic <laughs> dinosaurs. <laughs> That's terrific. Uh, I think you should have your own show, Frank. But yeah, Barney's actually making a comeback. They are rebooting the series. It's a new 3D uh, series. It's not the um, the live action one that we saw years ago. But um, they're going to have the theme song. And um, he's he's coming back after being off of television for 14 years. And they have a new actor. The old actor um, has is on the record, David Joyner, saying that he did not like the, um, the, the new style of Barney. It's a little softer looking. Uh, I got to be honest, this new Barney looks a little bit more effeminate. And uh, I guess that's par for the course nowadays. But um, that's what's going on. What's your reaction to Barney making a comeback, Frank? Well, absolutely. It's, oh, I, I, I oh you're speechless, Frank. You're speechless. Thanks for your call, brother. I appreciate it. Always good to hear from you. Big shout out to everybody in Montana on KOFI. And this is um, uh, just fascinating to me that they're bringing Barney back. It's also interesting, this story that Count Delacula sent. Uh, listen to this. This is in Reuters, so take it for what you will. But here's the headline. Indian firm deploys software for work-life balance. In New Delhi, India, a small IT company in the central Indian city of Indore has come up with an unusual way to ensure its employees maintain a healthy work-life balance by creating software to remind them when their shift is up and it's time to head home. Wow. Uh, I thought just, you know, employers that didn't like to pay overtime did that. SoftGrid computer software is used with a notification system that kicks in the moment an employee's shift is over, warning them that the office system will shut down in 10 minutes and asking them to please go home. That's so funny. I don't know if they're using AI for that or if it's like an actual little robotic voice, but the measure comes uh, during a time where there's increased focus and research into the adverse effect of long working hours on the health and relationships of employees across the world. So guess who? The World Health Organization, whom Biden wants to be in bed with and uh, sign over our, our health sovereignty to. Um, for example, they warned back in 2021 that working 55 hours or more per week can lead to a 35% higher risk of stroke, 17% higher risk of dying from heart disease. Man, remind me not to work 55 hours or more per week. The, uh, here's a quote. It says, the thought behind this is providing employees with a good work-life balance so that they can spend time with their families, with their loved ones. And that's, again, according to um, 
the chief executive there, A.J. Goliani uh, from ANI. So uh, interesting, to say the least, that there is a software that people are buying to tell your employees to go home, not, not just uh, to stick around. Fascinating. It really is fascinating. Anyway, more on that straight ahead. Uh, we're also going to take your calls. 833-4-VALDEZ is the phone number. 833-4-VALDEZ. I also wanted to um, get into uh, a couple of uh, other things here. There was a story from yesterday that I didn't get to. And it was um, an update on a story that was already out. Let me see if I find it here. I don't know that it's here now. Oh, yeah. I put this out on the Internet, and I, I tweeted it last night, but I don't think we got to it on the air, about a South Florida pregnant inmate that was looking to be released from prison. And the reason? Well, my unborn baby is innocent of any crime. Therefore, because there's an innocent baby inside of me, you've got to let me out so the baby can live and live free. And uh, interesting, because I, I, I've interviewed people who've given birth to children in prison because they were incarcerated at the time of their pregnancy. And, uh, yeah, they don't, they don't hold the kid in jail. They end up in with family primarily, or they'll end up in, um, in a foster system, which, you know, not ideal. Um, but... That's what happens when you're in jail. You don't get to say, hey, let me out of jail because I didn't do it or because the baby didn't do it. I don't think it quite works that way. But uh, interesting, to say the least, the uh, the article there. Anyway, more on your calls and more on these uh, interesting stories from um, from Mr. Hinton and Count Delacula when we come back. Don't go anywhere. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. Valdez. That's 833-482-5337. 5337 833-4-Valdez. That's Valdez with an S. We have to get back to the government running properly. He can't, the executive should not be issuing executive orders like Tic Tacs. Congress needs to, to pass a budget. The Senate needs to have hearings. If all these things are happening, stop having investigations. People need to start going to jail. We need to start seeing a perp walk. We need to start seeing some accountability. That's Raven Harrison, political analyst that was on with us earlier. If you missed that interview, it was a really good interview. Uh, you can check it out on the podcast for Rich Valdez, America at Night. Uh, you can get that wherever you get your podcasts. I encourage you to click subscribe so you never miss a notification on a new show. And of course, you could stream the show at Rich Valdez uh, on Rich Valdez America at night dot com. All right. Now, let us continue our quest for truth across America. Let's go to Robert in South uh, Carolina, WTMA. I think we did this before. Hopefully, Robert's there this time. Robert, are you there? Can you hear me? Hello? Yeah. Hello? The whole world hears you. About six million people hear you. Go right ahead. Okay. Okay. Great. Um, I just wanted to, 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 um, to bring your attention to a couple of things. One of them is that you mentioned that uh, um, that people want to give take a the deep Ukraine, breath, slow down. It, okay. They need that people want to give the Ukraine everything it needs. Well, that was actually a kind of direct quote 
from when Richard Nixon was on the phone, after Richard Nixon was on the phone with Golda Meir at about 3.30 in the morning during the Yom Kippur War when she was desperate. He talked to her for quite a long time on the phone, maybe half an hour. And then after he picked up the phone and he called the Pentagon and he said, send them everything they need. It was a direct, he did it exactly the same way. I don't, I don't know how you, what, what you think about that, but I do know that those five nations who attacked, which attacked Israel at that particular point in time, got the shock of their lives. And that solved that problem very, very quickly. And, and, and I, if he did this, if, if we did the same thing with the Ukraine, I'm sure that we get a similar result, I do believe. Yeah, I think that's a good point that you bring up. It's a good uh, piece of um, historical juxtaposition. And um, I think we need more of that sometimes, in particular with the Reagan mantra of peace through strength and walking ca- quietly while carrying a big stick. I think these are these are uh, analogies that we should not let fall on deaf ears. We need to take heed to those words of wisdom from those that have come before us, like uh, the great Ronaldus Magnus. And um, I appreciate it, Robert. Very, very good point. Uh, we will continue here. Let's see here. Um, Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. Uh, Bill, go right ahead, sir. What's on your mind? What's going on in uh, Myrtle Beach? Mr. Valdez. How you doing, Mr. Valdez? I just wanted to get your opinion on a law, a proposed law, where if a mother, with no exceptions, seeks an abortion and gets one, she's going to be charged with murder, and they will seek the death penalty. Yeah, and you're saying this is being proposed in South Carolina? Yes, sir. Yeah, I don't think it gets out of whatever committee it's in. It sounds a little rough. I mean, especially with no exceptions at all, none, no exception for rape or even if the mother's yeah. life or death situation. And it's South Carolina. South Carolina is not, um, you know, that's. I don't think that's ever going to fly in a state like South Carolina. Okay. I just yeah. wanted to know if you've heard of it. or It just came now, across I my think feed a lot of times when you see these types of... Uh, Anything that that seems, you know, just a little bit odd, uh, when you look at that, it's usually for the sake of making a case on both sides. You know, so if you if you get a case that says, look, you can abort your kid with for any reason, there's, you know, absolutely anything. You you don't like their hair color. You you got one of those 3D ultrasounds. You realize, ah, this not I don't want it. And of course, those things don't don't they don't pass either. Right. Because ultimately somebody says, look, I can't vote for something like that. You know, whether I just can't do it. And so you but they get some hype about it. They get some press. They get people that do like that type of thing interested. And and, and now they, they build momentum and consensus with their group. And a, a lot of times that's what this stuff is for, is to, to, to get to people. And, you know, and then you have other people that say, all right, let's figure out how to work on getting to yes. And how to how we actually make this thing work rather than appealing to the sensibilities of, of a few in a group. Let's, let's see how we can make this thing work. And I get, I get both sides. Honestly, some people say, look, I'm an ideological purist and it's gotta be this way. And others might say, look, you know what? Um, uh, none of us are perfect and we, we have to meet in the middle somewhere. And, and I think that's the beauty of our public discourse and, and politics overall is that, you know, depending on what type of leverage you have, you, you might be able to negotiate for more or for less in any given scenario. So I think that's uh, where I land on that one. Anyway, there is more to come straight ahead. Bill, I want to thank you for your call from Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. And we're going to get to the rest of your calls as well. 833-482-5337. I am Rich Valdez. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. 
voted best head of hair in live late night radio six years in a row. It's Rich Valdez. We're bringing thousands of bottles of water, Trump water, actually, most of it. Uh, some of it we had to go to a much lesser quality water. You want to get those Trump bottles, I think, more than anybody else. But we're bringing a lot of water, thousands of bottles, and we have it in trucks, and we brought some on my plane. There you go. That's President Donald Trump on the ground in East Palestine, Ohio, speaking with the people where uh, President Biden still isn't there, still hasn't done a dang thing. Let's go to somebody who's in Ohio, Paul, one of our regulars here on America at Night. Paul in Zanesville, W-H-I-Z. Paul, what's up, my man? Hey, good evening, Rich. Uh, yeah, uh, Trump, you know, here's the epitome of a leader. Um, this man did not take a salary during his whole um, presidency. He goes to East Palestine, Ohio, and what I seen was a pair of boots with a, a umbrella over his head. Might have been acid rain. He didn't know. But this man was on the spot. He was there. You know, this is a guy who cares about America. And you can say anything you want about him, you know. Um, if you're a Trump hater, okay, but his policies are really good. You know, and even that, uh, uh, what's her name? She's running for president now, uh, Haley, Nikki Haley. Nikki Haley. Yeah, even, yeah, even she agrees with his policies, but she just thinks that, you know, the Trump name, you know, uh, she's running away from that. I call her Rhino already. But, um, you know, yeah, um, uh, Trump is, 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 you know, he's a leader, and that's something something that's being lacked by Biden. You know, um, he, he's not a really good leader. You know, I mean, he just he, he 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 runs away from everything. I don't really know who's running him, but you know, I just um, uh, uh, Joe Biden is not a leader, and I think he's corrupt too. So that's all I got to say tonight, Rich. Thank you. Thank you, Paul. I appreciate it. Keep holding it down in Ohio. Uh, let us continue. Let's go to Detroit listening on the Internet. Um, I wonder what station you're listening to on the Internet. But anyway, Gary, welcome. You're on with Rich Valdez. Yeah. Um, all right. Not all at once now, Gary. And inconvenience the government is uh, what I'm seeing. Um, now, what what is the inconvenience of the government? The train wreck or... Ukraine or what? What are we talking about? The the wreck, the wreck in the train, the mm-hmm. uh, the hell of the fire, uh, the streams full of chemicals that are going to rivers, out to the ocean, to tropical fish. Yeah, and you're saying that out. all of this is an inconvenience to the government. Must be because. Uh, the money, the money's uh, over in the Ukraine, and uh, former President Trump now has to make some peace there. I see. Well, I, I, I get your point. Uh, I think it's. It, I think it goes beyond being inconvenient. I think the. I think it was strategic. I think they said, no, 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 I don't want to do this Ohio thing. I don't want to be associated with it. I don't want pictures of me over there. I don't want any of that. So they, they kind of arranged for themselves to, to be somewhere else. Uh, but they all, they have to show up because now Trump has kind of held their feet to the fire saying, look, I'm not even president anymore and I'm here. You know, imagine you, Trump. And I think that's the, the problem here where Biden looks like a chump and Trump is besting him right now. 
So, um, yeah, I, I get what you're saying, and uh, I guess I agree in, in that respect that uh, Biden's not doing a great job and he can do a lot better if he would to actually do something. And I think that's the biggest part is that he's so apathetic. He just doesn't do anything. He doesn't do enough. But uh, thank you for the call, Gary. I do appreciate it. Let us continue our journey across the country and go from Detroit to New York, Albany, New York, WGDJ. Linda, welcome. You're on with Rich Valdez. Go right ahead. Thank you, Rich, and um, thanks for taking my call. Uh, yes, first, God bless Trump, but actually I would expect no less of him. But yeah, my main reason for calling, I uh, one of the people they were talking about complaining about uh, being Americans, um, I don't think we have any generally any idea how hard it would be to apply to another country unless you can have dual citizenship. I had two examples. A woman living on my street, she originally from was from Canada, got mm-hmm. American citizenship, and then got ill and wanted to go back to Canada to family. And it was hard even to go back, even though she originally had been from there. And another woman, um, a singer... Um, dancer that got a uh, bought a house on an island, European island. Uh, she had to sign paperwork that she would not apply to take any kind of job away from a citizen of that island or the mainland. That she had to definitely be financially independent. And I just wow. think it would be great maybe if you would have someone on some night that would explain how lucky we are in this country. Yeah, it's a good point, and we'll definitely look into it. Uh, I think those are conversations that we need to have, Linda. And uh, and, and overall, the, the the point is we, we do need to look at those ideas, those stories, and uh, and kind of put them out there so that people can, you know, get a really good uh, cross-section of everything that's going on in the country. So I do appreciate it. Thank you, Linda, for your call. Always a pleasure. Thanks for joining Open Phone America here on America at Night. And uh, I just want to remind you, we've got a few um, really interesting um, guests tomorrow. Uh, Congressman Jim Jordan, chairman of the House Judiciary Committee, is going to join us again because uh, there is a delegation going to the southern border, and he's going to give us the details of his trip to the border. Uh, we also have Margot Cleveland, law professor, who's going to explain why Section 230 may not be coming to an end. So don't go anywhere. Well, you can go somewhere, but make sure you're back tomorrow. Take care. Good night. And God bless. I am Rich Valdez. The Bigger Pockets portfolio of podcasts are worthy of your investment. We're having a real conversation as real real estate investors. New episodes available every day. It's important to buy where it makes money and not necessarily where you want to travel to. Bigger Pockets on the market, rookie real estate or money podcast. The purpose of flipping is to create more cash so then you can reinvest into other types of properties. The Bigger Pockets podcast on YouTube or wherever you listen.